This week, a crucial member of a podcast becomes suddenly unavailable. A little bit like what's happening with the team. Resulting in having to improvise with what we have left. A little bit like what's going on with the team. But at the end, everything comes together and we pull it through. Like with the team. This is Piaget talking. So hello everyone and welcome to uh, PSG Talking. I'm your host uh, for this evening, Matt Gooding. I'd just like to apologise if I sound a bit croakier than usual. My voice is uh, in a similar condition to, to Neymar's metatarsal at the moment, which is a little bit unfortunate. Um, I just wonder if I should have some uh, stem cells injected in my throat, but unfortunately the PSG Talk budget's a bit uh, limited, so, so we're not going to do that. Um, but fortunately, I've got a couple of uh, guys um, with me who are going to uh, hopefully do most of the talking. I've got alongside me uh, Guillaume of The Door on Reddit and Twitter and uh, other social media outlets, I'm sure. Guillaume, Hello. how are you doing? Hello, everyone. Glad Thanks. to be here. Excellent. Always, uh, always good to have you, Guillaume. And uh, also stepping into the breach today, um, someone who'll be familiar to listeners from the uh, from the PSG Small Talk show, which he uh, he hosts rather excellently and uh, uh, rather more regularly than this show. It's uh, Mark Damon with us. Hi, Mark. How's it going? Um, going well. Um, four or five days out to Man United. A lot to talk about. Absolutely, we've got quite a uh, we've got quite a packed show to get through. So we'll get straight into it. We're going to have a look back at the the sort of last, well, the last week or so in uh, in the world of PSG and also uh, sort of the transfer window and uh, and uh, the signing of uh, Leandro Paredes. But um, if we first of all can go back to last Sunday night in um, in Lyon, um, uh, an excellent match. I think we can all agree in terms of entertainment, probably one of the best uh, league one games of the season. Um, unfortunately, the result didn't go in the way we'd have liked. PSG beaten 2-1, first, uh, first league defeat of the season for the team. Uh, and um, having taken the lead through Di Maria um, early on, it sort of all looked to be sort of going quite nicely. But um, Leon got back on terms through, uh, through Dembélé and then in the second half uh, got the winning goal, as it turned out, from the penalty spot through Nabil Fakir. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It, it was an entertaining game, but ultimately a sort of frustrating result and um, in many ways a sort of a frustrating performance from PSG because I think we didn't really perform to the to the level we've seen that, that we can. Um, so first of all, sort of what were your sort of general reflections on the game? Um, if we start with, uh, with Guillaume and then go to Mark. Um, well, the game went the way that it would. We know Lyon... Uh, they they step up when they they meet us. They love the big games. Ask uh, Manchester City and and other big teams. Um, they 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 transcend them, themselves, and uh, they have a couple of fantastic players like Fekir and and Dombele. And um, it was uh, yeah, it was one of the best Ligue 1 games not not only this season but in in years. It was a real 
like quarterfinal level of the Champions League or round yeah, of 16, exactly. whatever, um, with uh, with drama, with with goals, with long long period of dominations, and and Paris started well, and then our pressing started to go away and melt, and Lyon got back, and then we suffered and suffered and suffered, and the second half, a completely different story, very very good game, uh, not surprised at all that we lost um kind of surprised actually by our first uh, 15 minutes where we were extremely dominant and confident uh, but i was expecting a game like that um i'm not too i'm not too shocked that we lost at lyon 2-1 at all no absolutely i think it must be so frustrating being a lyon fan at the moment because you see that the amount of quality they've got and um particularly in midfield with um, Ndombele, who we've spoken about on here before, and Fakir and Aoua. And um, the fact that they're not a bit closer to to us and Lille at the top of the table must be a real real frustration for them because we know how, how good they can be. Um, yeah, and then they, they, they draw to Toulouse or Guingamp. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. There's no excuse. <laughs> I mean, what kind of losers would uh, would get held by Gangon pay? I mean, I can't imagine. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, Mark, I mean, what did you make of the game? I think a lot of the talk afterwards was around the referee and performance, uh, the penalty which um, which was given for the foul by uh, by Thiago Silva, obviously caused a bit of uh, a bit of contention amongst uh, amongst some PSG fans. What was your sort of what was your view on that, and then on the game in general? Well, I, I do have to agree with Guillaume in that it's not surprising that this Leon team can beat Paris Saint-Germain on any given night because, quite frankly, their A game is as close to PSG's as anybody's in League 1. Like, yeah, there's two teams that can sort of, I guess you'd call it, play Champions League level football. PSG are one of them, and they don't do it often enough. And Leon are the other. Like, they could go in and play in any... I think they can play in pretty much any like top level game, and if they're on and they're a game, they can compete. Like yeah. they're not getting blown. Like I don't think they're going to get blown out by Barcelona at all. Like I think they'll give Barcelona a challenge at least for a while in those in those two legs. But I still think that this is again it's a compromised Paris Saint Germain. So you're playing without obviously your your best weapon. And you're playing without your best regulating midfield player. And you're throwing out a midfield of Danny Alves and Marquinhos. <laughs> that, you, you, you going into the game, when you see that lineup, you knew, okay, they're not going to have, a do- they're not going to dominate this game unless something weird happens. And Leon got to their A level a couple times in that first half. You felt like they were really like, on fire, like you, like that's the Leon that can you know really be a threat to Europe and a threat in League One, and they just can't reach that level enough. But I do want to kind of start, I guess, with Alphonse Ariola because he makes about three to four really quality saves that keep PSG in that match. And while you're watching it, you're saying, "Wow, this if this Alphonse Ariola shows up." Every week, he's the best. He's one of the best goalkeepers in Europe if he can play at that level. But then that leads to the first goal, and you remember why he's close, maybe, 
to being an undisputable number one goalie, but he's not quite there yet. Yeah. And again, I'm not blaming him for any of this because this was just the, the midfield wise. They just weren't. They didn't have the the depth or the level in this game to really control the tempo in the way they would like. So not surprising. Um, the penalty, I would say, is a soft penalty, but it's still by definition a penalty. So that wasn't really the one that you know you gotta. You can't really get really upset about that because I just thought, yeah, you, he impeded progress. Dembele went down light, but I I'm not of the I'm not in the anti flopping school. I no. kind of believe it's up to the referee to make a decision and be able to tell the difference between the two. Yeah, and Silva does impede him, so it's a it's it's a penalty, a, a soft one, but it's still a penalty. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just want to add one more little thing that I noticed. And I noticed it in the first half where PSG's best spell was when they would not play the ball out of the back but have Ariola kick it into midfield. And they were doing a good job of knocking the ball down. Cavani and Mbappe were settling. They were getting into good situations. When they got in trouble was when they tried to play the ball out of the back. Anytime they played the ball out of the back – Without Marco Verratti in that lineup, it just they can't do it. And if we're projecting this to next week, if they try to play the ball out of the back against a team that has a lot of speed and a lot of ability to sort of quick counter you, that that could end up being a disaster. And I think they have to really think about how they approach those situations. Because I feel like we've had this conversation before where PSG just cannot play the ball out of the back against really good pressing teams. Yeah, definitely. And I think it sort of highlights the importance of Verratti. I mean, we all know how important Verratti is to this team, but particularly, I I mean, there there are a few better players in in world football in terms of getting the ball off the defence in a tight situation and, you know, wriggling their way out of it, even if it makes the fans, like, have a heart attack half the time. I mean, you saw, like, Alwar try and do it for the... uh, for our goal in the Lyon match, he tried to dribble it out and got dispossessed and uh, it was disastrous for them. And I think um, if we try and play that way without Verratti, even if you've got Paredes potentially to come in, I think it's going to be really difficult. So I think that's a really interesting observation. Um, Guillaume, just quickly on the uh, on the refereeing performance, what did you make of that? Were you sort of, because I'm kind of agree with Mark that I think the penalty is one of those ones where if it had been the other way around and we hadn't got it, I'd have probably been quite annoyed uh, I didn't think the referee performance was particularly bad, but I think I'm in the minority there. What did you What did you make of it? Um, I, it was a soft penalty. I mean, it's a it's a mistake by Mota and uh, Silva. Sorry, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a nice uh, uh, nice yeah, throwback throwback to yeah. better times there with uh, Thiago Mota. Yeah, yeah, I used to do that a lot. Uh, yeah. The good old Thiago uh, yeah. Thiago Silva mistake um and then a soft penalty it was a 50 50 yeah um we we do we make a lot of faults when you you look at this i don't have the stats in front of me it's starting to pile up yeah um so that that one of the reasons may be that for all these years we played without a six but anyway um it, it may, maybe it's over now the ref in the second half was a little soft, though. 
the the the, the fouls, um, and it it seems to be a common issue in Ligue One, and and there's not much the club can do except writing letters and and talking about it in the press. But yes, um, we were as usual a bit roughed up, and when you're that. Um, you have that reputation of being very technical and, and, and so dangerous up front. Well, most teams are going to rough you up. But uh, the Chirpinator was not, <laughs> especially in the last 10 minutes. My God, he was, he was a bit soft. But there's, there's no, I mean, I, I can't say the ref was a major factor in that game. The major factor was, um, there, there, were, there were a few. Yeah. The, Despite when you dig into the, the stats of the game, then it becomes a strange game. The the lineup Alves, Marquinhos, Draxler, Di Maria in midfield in a 4 4 2. Uh, Alves against the pie that's not gonna go well. You, you, you know that right up front. Um, and and it didn't go poorly, good, it was catastrophic. Alves was poor, Alves in that game. Um, and then we, we got really dominated um, for, for long periods. And I think they had 17 uh, sh- shot attempts against us, which is, which is a, it's a new record. Um, but the two goals we conceded were mistakes, mistake by Areola and mistake by Chego Silva. So that, that's, uh, that in a way contradicts how the game went. Because Lyon was very dangerous, but not that dangerous. Yeah. We were doing okay. I was strangely um, confident in a way when when the, the waves of of, of uh, Lyon OL attacking players were rushing down our aisles, especially the pie. I wasn't um, I wasn't freaking out. Um, we we sort of have learned how to suffer, and we know we now know how to. Um, weather the storm a bit. Yeah. Um, that was a big storm. That was a big, yeah. big storm. And that, that could be, you know, a little scary. But then, like Mark said, and like you, you, you probably agree, the lineup was a bit odd. The, the formation was a bit odd. Uh, it's difficult to draw, like, solid conclusions. Yeah, and you can't because, obviously, you don't have, you don't have nearly the full compliment of players to sort of um, say, well, if, 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 if let's put it this way, if Marco Verratti plays in that game and we lose in a similar way, I would be concerned. Right. Because then you just, then you just, you, then it's like, do we have, can we get any midfielders at all that can go in there yeah. and do, like, do a job? But I, I looked at that and that <laughs> suffering part and it almost similar to what happened, to, you know, it's like they're, they, they're, they're close to getting out of it. But then they make that like one small mental mistake or physical mistake that the other team capitalizes on. And that's Champions League football. Like, that's the concern to me, which is if you're, you're in these high-profile, you know, high-stress situations, they on the road, and especially on the road, I think we've seen at home that they can do this. Like, they can have a solid really good Champions League performance at home. It's going on the road and playing 90 minutes of, you know, high concentration football where you're not going to make those types of mistakes. And if you make those types of mistakes, good teams beat you and they score. And 
that was, I think, a warning to uh, Thomas Tuchel here in that you can't give the other team the first half and then make your adjustments and come out in the yeah. second half. I, I yeah. tend to have this theory. I have a theory, and I don't know what you guys think about it. I feel like Tuchel's kind of a coach that doesn't over-game plan the first 45 minutes of games. It feels like he tries to feel the game and then make He picks his games. He picks his games. I mean, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't say that uh, referring to, for example, Paris Saint-Germain-Liverpool, yeah. which was a very, very well-prepared game. Yeah. But yes. I agree with you. I think he picks he picks his games, yeah, for some reason. It's, it's like, but he, and I think he picks his games when he knows he has something he can go in with. I feel like he didn't know what he had going into Leon. Like you're, you're throwing out Alves, you're playing Marquinhos in midfield again. You, you're sort of you don't quite know what the reaction's going to be, so you just sort of wait a little bit. Yeah. And there were stretches in that first half where they're just getting. They're getting really overwhelmed, and even in the second half, you go down two one, and a lot of this is devil's advocate. But I'm you're down two one, you don't sub until the 80th minute, and I can distinctly remember because it wasn't that long ago. It was basically last year where we would have people on this, you know, on PSG Twitter in the PSG Twitter uh, universe, for lack of a better term, just raking Unai Emery over the coals for not making substitutions. And I don't hear that about Tony. <coughs> I feel like he's getting a pass for something that Unai Emery did not get a pass for. And you can qualify it and explain it how you'd like, but I still feel like we, we're pretty sure Tomas Tuchel's a great coach, but I still would like to... I, I, I wouldn't like to anoint him yet. Does that make sense? Like, I just don't want to... Because that was a little strange. Like, you're going into the second half. You need a goal. You take off Edinson Cavani and you bring on Chopo Moting. And then you bring on Leandro Paredes, which they needed to get in minutes. But you wait 80 minutes to even do that. It was just, it was, it was just a weird way that that game was... Um, it's just a weird way that that game was managed. And mm-hmm. I'm just sort of trying to take it all and process it. I mean, I wonder if a bit of that is contextual in the sense that we're so far clear at the top of the table that, we, I mean, you don't want to lose to Leon, obviously, but at the same time, it's not if we did lose and it's not the end of the world sort of thing. And I wonder if a bit of it is him thinking, OK, I'm going to see what I can do with this uh, lineup, which is far from ideal, or even maybe I'll show uh, the hierarchy that I really needed another midfielder in the January window because otherwise I've got to play Danny Alves and Marquinhos in there. So I think judging by Tuchel's behaviour in previous jobs, I think that's an entirely plausible scenario, or certainly judging on his time at Dortmund. Uh, but I also I agree with you that I think that it's a bit early to sort of label him as success or failure. I think there's definitely a lot of signs that he's going to be a success, but obviously... Uh, you know, the proof of it will be in the second half of the season, won't it? Yeah, you just you want to see him. You want to see what the Manchester games look like, and you want to see, like, you, you just you want to see it over the course of not just a year, but the course of two years. So a lot of this conversation is premature anyway. But yeah, but I mean, I, I, 
that's right. that's football, isn't it? Like that's especially at this level in the sort of elite clubs. There's you don't get two years to sort of bed in. I mean, uh, I think he's going to have to do something this season, otherwise he'll soon be under pressure at the start of next season. Um, anyway, I think that's quite a nice segue because um, uh, obviously uh, we also had a game in midweek um, against this team called uh, Villefranche uh, Beaujolais, which um, I mean it sounds like a sort of type of wine or something. I don't know what you it's, guys it's think. It's the most French team. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Of yes. All the French teams. It's, it, it's the most French team. I think it's even sure, a wine. Sure, look like it. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, <laughs> so we had to go back to Lyon, which obviously isn't wasn't ideal because we always our record Same in, stadium. Yeah, our record in the new Lyon stadium is pretty bad, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it continued in midweek um, because uh, this team from the uh, well, they're they're in the national, aren't they? Championnat national. Um, they're not even a very good national team. They're sort of down near the bottom, but somehow they were not bad. Well, they, they weren't, weren't bad at all. Yeah, I mean, they, they weren't bad in, in this particular game, but I mean, generally, they're, right. they're not doing... Sure, but they, yeah. they, they had a good game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, their badge has got a nice tiger on it, so I assume their nickname is the you know, Tigres or whatever. But anyway, um, that's enough of my uh, my French. Um, they held us at nil-nil for 90 minutes, and uh, we eventually won through an extra time, 3-nil. Um, but... Uh, Guys, I don't know what we can really... T- it's, it's very difficult to take too much from a game against, uh, you know, obviously opposition, uh, which are, are, are quite inferior. But um, does it worry you how that game went, despite, obviously, Tuchel made quite a few changes to the lineup. But even so, you know, we should have had enough to, to bypass this team quite comfortably. Um, was there anything you could take from the game, you know, positive or negative? And also, what do you think of the coach's behaviour? Because he seems to be getting increasingly sort of angry on the touchline. I know he's quite an angry character generally, but I think the last few weeks he seems to have been ramping it up a bit. And obviously, he got sent off in the midweek game. He got um, sent to the stands for uh, complaining about a tackle on on one of our players. So, uh, reflections on the game, positive or negative? And also, sort of, Tuchel's general sort of mindset and behaviour. I mean, are you you okay with that? Does it bother you, uh, you know, and so on? Uh, We can start with Guillaume again. Well, um, I think this game beats the Paris Saint-Germain-Toulouse as the worst game of the season. <laughs> and, uh, Paris Saint-Germain-Toulouse is, of course, the game I picked to watch live at yeah. Parc Prince. Yeah, when you, when you invoke um, that one, you know, it's, uh, you know it's bad times. Uh, oh, my God. And um, it was somewhat interesting, very frustrating, uh, yet another another different formation, uh, 4-2-3-1. This time, as we played in 4-4-2 against Lyon, and it seems that, oh my God, I'm terrified. If um, Tuchel decides to play 4-4-2 in Manchester, I hope not. But he he still doesn't really know what to do without Neymar. Of course, the whole team was designed around Neymar. He may have better ideas when Verratti is present but but right now he's doing what he can with what he has um, and of course it was um, the great opportunity to to start Leandro Paredes and I don't know for you guys but for me it was love at first sight immediately yeah. oh my god oh yes 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 look at the passes he can he can the long passes the the, the pass that breaks the lines 
um, he's, a, he's a bit of a mota, meaning he's a tempo guy. He's going to be... I cannot wait to see Paredes Verati together. I cannot yeah, wait. I, I cannot wait to see this. I've been... And you know it. You've been listening to me for, for, for the ones who've been listening to me for all, all these years. Um, it's the midfield. It, Neymar's fantastic. Yes. Mbappé, yes. It's the midfield. You win a Champions League. You win great competitions with the midfield. This is the heart of the team. And uh, we have, we, we've had no heart for a few years now. And... Um, it can be beaten again with, with Paredes and, and Verratti. Um, so that was the main uh, interest in that, in that game, seeing uh, Diaby start and Choupo-Moting start was vaguely interesting. Uh, and Cuckoo start too, and oh my God, what a disappointment in Cuckoo was. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I probably, don't think he's going to be able to make it. He's probably sorry. I've, I've lost. He was absolutely terrible. Yeah, absolutely terrible. He's probably sulking because he didn't get his move to Arsenal. He's probably like, if only I could have worked for Unai Emery again, my life could have been so much different. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't know. His life is going to be. He's going to be a bench player. There's a there's a threshold he can't pass. There's a level he doesn't seem to be able to. You know, prove me wrong, but I, I really like him. Um, I think he's great as box to box. He's got that wonderful acceleration, carrying the ball, and uh, there's only another player like him, and it's Neymar. Well, not a level, of course. But, um, but uh, he never found a way to exist in this team, as others have. Uh, Diaby has. Um, well, Shupo kind of has, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, but not in, in Cuckoo. So... Um, the the coach, oh yeah, the the white trash coach. You you forgot to mention Matt that this guy was banned from football for a whole year for violence to a player when he was co- coaching Bayonne, which is a, a, a small town in the Basque Country. The rugby people may may know where it is. Uh, he hit a player of the opposite team and got banned for a year. Is is a if you, if you thought white trash is an American specialty, no, 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 it's not. There, there are white trash people all around the world, and that guy is a white trash. What's um, uh, what's French you know, white could, trash? Uh, um, there's no real translation for it. Yeah. Um, well, we say a both. I am. We Un gros both. Yeah. Un gros 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 both. Okay, well, that's good. I've learned something tonight. So, uh, yeah, you've so, learned something today. <laughs> yeah, I never know what I can say, what's too, because my wife has taught me a few slang terms, but I never know what's too offensive. So, we'll probably keep those away from the podcast just in case. Uh, um, no, nothing, nothing <laughs> we'll talk so about that. Offensive, nothing's too offensive in French. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, we'll talk about that afterwards. Um, Mark, uh, did you watch the game? And if so, well, how I did you? It, uh, I watched it after. I watched it in. Uh, I watched it on the re- on the replay after, and I, right now I'm currently while I'm recording this, I'm watching this weird sport where they ride these motor, try to ride these like BMX motorcycles up these rocky hills, and that was basically about what PSG's <laughs> offense looked like for about the first hundred minutes or so. Now, <laughs> luckily for um, luckily for PSG in this case, the Coupe de France uh, goes to. Oh, we're losing time. you. 
Yeah, all right, I'm, I'm here. I'll still um, let you mark, don't worry. So We're losing you. You're losing me? Okay, do it again. Yeah, you're back. Do it again. L- you right. were at l- luckily for PSG. Yes, luckily for PSG, the game go went into extra time instead of like the Coupe de la Ligue model where it goes to the penalties right away. Because there's no way over 120 minutes that, that uh, the national team is going to keep PSG out of the net. Just by sure exhaustion and you could tell like by the end that they couldn't even like defend anymore it was just like the last two goals were wide open two on zero at the goalkeeper goals like at that point it was just you know once you got the first goal and they were too tired to defend it and it was just you know it it, it was always if you were going to give them 120 like they couldn't get it in 90 minutes but if you gave them 120 they won and I will say that I enjoyed watching Paredes. I'd like to, again, see it tomorrow against Bordeaux because you're going to be under a little more pressure against Bordeaux. I want to see how he handles the a bit of the pressure a little bit because, again, what are you getting from that except for a team that's sitting in a 5-4-1 and not really challenging the midfielders, more just sort of sitting there waiting for stuff to happen and blocking shots, so... It'll be interesting to see them Paredes in that kind of environment. Um, but, yeah, there's just not much to take from it. Like, what do you say? They they got the win. That's important. You don't, you know, you couldn't lose that game. Uh, it wouldn't have been good. It wouldn't have been, uh, it would not have voted well. There would have been a little bit of negative momentum building. I can't really remember the last time PSG lost two games in a row. So, you know... That would have been that would have been rough, and it would have started raising some real questions. But they got it done, and I mean that's about what you can say about it. They got it done. Paredes um, got can, minutes. You can I, tell um, that their mind wasn't on it, and I don't think their mind was hundred percent on the Lyon game too. Yeah. Uh, neither, rather. Well, but also you have to take into account that these. Uh, the players of Villafranche Beaujolais have never played in a game like this. They probably never will again. So you're getting 110% effort and buy oh, yeah. from oh, them yeah. versus a team that just, this is just sort of Wednesday. Like, you know, it's not going to be the same intensity. You know, it's not going to be the same intensity and you know, of you got to score earlier. It's going to be a slot, but of course. And Conku is interesting though. And you bring him up, which is his, his agent, uh, has gone public with his concerns. I don't think they've been really nasty about it. Like, um, who is the fact like, old guy that was Marco Verratti's agent, the Golden Cage guy? <laughs> I uh, was about to say Ve- Veronique Rabiot, but no, no. either one. Um, <laughs> Golden Cage guy or Veronique? But they didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like he wasn't like nasty about it. He was just saying, "Look, we feel like for him to." advance his career and really show if he's an elite, you know, top kind of player. He's got to go play regular minutes for a club and he's not wrong, but no, he's not. at some point you, ha- if you're given, you know, you have to maximize the time you're given. And if you're only given a certain amount of time and you're not playing well enough to, you know, warrant more, there's not much you can do about that. Like, you look at a guy like Musa Diaby right now, he came out of kind of nowhere. Like, yeah. he wasn't really on anybody's radar last year. I don't think Emery even 
put him in any of the rosters. I don't think he even really thought about him. But here comes Musa Diaby. He does a role well. He plays off that wing really well. He can pass decently well. He can drive through people. He can score. He can play some half-decent defense. And he finds a role. And it's just like Unkunku's been given chance after chance to really take a role. And it, for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened. And I do think, yeah, he should have, you know, if they could have gotten a deal done to get him out of here, it probably would have been best for him. Because right now, I don't see a lot of minutes for him on the on the horizon for this club. Um, but, you know, maybe it's a, I'm, I'm going to contradict myself. Maybe it's a mindset. In a, in a way, Jabby has the mindset to come in and give 120% and he's a very dynamic player. And Kuku a little less. And Kuku is more a, mid, a real midfielder. Jabby is a forward. Um, maybe and Kuku does need more time and more minutes to deliver. Um, and that's the way it is. And he doesn't get that at Paris Saint-Germain because... You're going to be on the bench, and you get a shine when you come in. Diaby does it. He can't. Um, maybe it's going to be time to move on, and maybe I will be wrong and um, pro- properly coached somewhere else. He'll, he'll, um, he'll become a very good football player. Yeah. He's a good yeah. football player. Maybe he'll, he'll become a very good one. And all of this is contextual anyway. Like, you know, to dredge up another old argument about, you know, a guy like Giovanni Lachelso. Giovanni Lachelso is not going to do nearly what he's done with Real Betis sitting on Paris Saint-Germain's bench and getting, you know, you three, go. four starts, you know, three starts a month. Like that's and it's it's that and it's that thing where you let a player go and then he starts playing well somewhere else and you're like, oh well, if he only could have done that here, and usually there's a reason they couldn't, you know, do it here. And now, like he, you know, Lachelso got what was best for him. And at some point, you just have to say, you know, the player needs to play. And we could hoard all these players like we've done in the past and have this really deep bench where we're paying, you know, we're paying Javier Pastore and Lucas Mora ridiculous fees based on what they do for the team. Or you can sort of trim the roster down, get guys like Musa Diaby, who aren't right now going to be paid a whole lot, to do a similar job for much less money than you're paying the other guys. And those other guys can go to other clubs and they can find their roles and they can be better players. And I think that um, for this, I, I would say, I would say that it's good for Nkunku to leave now. Mark, I think you just um, described Paris Saint-Germain's business model for the few decades ahead. Yeah. Um, they, they have probably the best reservoir players they're sitting on it in the Greater Paris area. They invested 200 million euros in the Youth Academy, which is going to be world-class. And if people think a world-class Youth Academy is, is, um, is irrelevant, like, yeah, doesn't... Well, look what happened to the country of Qatar that just won the, the Asian Cup uh, with their incredible, incredible Youth Academy um, He's got, I forgot the name, it's like Aspire or something like that. Um, they, they trained young players for years and years and years in the best conditions, and they kind of delivered. Um, you are right, Diaby is a perfect example. There's going to be many more in the years to come where they're going to shine for a while, and then they'll have the choice, move on, get, you know, 
be some money in the in the coffers for the club, but they will never have the huge salaries that our previous bench had, and that um, that's probably a good a good business model. I kind of I kind of like it. I Sorry do. to interrupt you. Yes, and I do I do too, and I I have to say, and we're going to break the fourth wall a little bit here. Matt has dropped off. Now, I've been recording this the entire time just in case something were to happen, so we're going to keep going until we get Matt back. All right, Kim? Oh, really? Oh, yes. How do you know? I just saw him drop off. It's just you and me. Oh. So I've been recording. Oh, I've been recording it. So we've we're all we're all good. So good job. How do we get him back? That's a great question. Sure. Well, good. You're recording. Yes. I wanted to record too, but I couldn't. Um. Okay. Where were we? We well, are talking. You know, about we were talking about. We were talking. We the, you kind of talked about Qatar a little bit and how their their team has. You know, they actually are going to have a real national team for their World Cup. They are. Let's talk about another Qatari. Let's talk about Nasser uh, Al-Halifi and his election to the... um, Because I actually kind of want to get into this because it it does touch on a whole bunch of stuff. He is going to be the representative of the ECA, which is like the European Council... Something Association. I don't even know what it stands for. But he is their representative. He got voted in. He is now on the way... One of... One of... One of them. One of yeah. them. He he is now on a UEFA executive committee, and I don't think <laughs> seven years ago when this whole thing started. It's so bizarre. It's, it's so bizarre. Just just tell because you've been follow you've you've followed this club for two hundred and seventy three uh, years. Yeah, something like it's some ridiculous <laughs> number. What what do you think of seeing the? The head, the the head honcho, the the top dog at Paris Saint Germain, being named to a UEFA executive committee. Um, there are interest groups within those institutions. We know that for a fact because we've been lobbied hard against by some top clubs in the UEFA. House, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it like that, and and that was the the news for a while. Uh, uh, what his name? Tebas. Javier Tebas. The, Javier Tebas, the president of La Liga, uh, opening his his loud mouth on a regular basis, describing how horrible and evil Paris Saint Germain is over and over, and um, and then. The media taking that over and talking about FFP, blah, 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 blah. And then next thing you know, some of those clubs were behind Nasser to represent them. This is really, really surprising in many ways. But the message is, well, uh, yeah, we are open house. Uh, it's it's a mess. There's uh, there's a lot of different trends and and interest groups within UEFA and and there's a constant struggle and fight. And uh, Nasser, as political allies um, in France and in Qatar, um, and um, they probably paid off. So that's a very good strategic move for Paris Saint-Germain. What exactly is that, how it's going to benefit the club, uh, and so on and so forth, it's impossible to know. But what a mess uh, those uh, institutions are. 
it's always important to have a voice in the in the room. Like when they're having these discussions, it's always important to have a voice in the room. And when you don't have a voice in the room, you're sort of subject yeah. to whatever the people who have voices in the room want to do. And I think that what's happened here is that this whole last year and a half, two years or so, have been a test of sort of Paris Saint-Germain's staying power as a global football brand. And when you get to the level of global football brand, you get to that point where you become whatever you feel about Qatar and what they've done and how they've done it and who they've done it to PSG are a big enough club with big enough revenues. They have the sixth highest uh, revenue in Europe right now, which again, for a club that was once owned by canal plus and colony capital. And that's amazing to think that in six years or seven years, they've just, completely transformed this into a global football brand. And with that comes some perks. And I think what UEFA has also learned is that this financial fair play thing is a lot more complicated than they thought. Uh, PSG's positioning on all of this was a lot more solid than I think they initially thought. Because if they had something on Paris Saint-Germain, they would have said so by now. It's been what? They've been investigating this as long as the Mueller investigation at this point? Like, they're, all, oh, they're almost concurrent. Yes, it's longer than, yes, this is longer than the Mueller investigation. And we're still, they have, what, what are they? What's, but Mark, what's the message? They cannot, they don't have a solid, rock-solid legal framework to prevent Paris Saint-Germain from investing. Um, there's always, and Paris Saint-Germain and other clubs, uh, AC Milan and, and, and Galatasaray, now you heard about Marseille, of course Manchester City. Um, it's against... Uh, 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 hello. Welcome back. Hey, Matt. Hello, hello. We lost Matthew and he's back. He's back. He's trying sort to come of. back. Okay, so... We're going to talk till we uh, hear his voice. I kind of lost my train of thought. Uh, we're talking about Nasser and we're talking about oh, investigation. Yeah, yeah. the, 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 the legal framework. Yes. You, you, you cannot, by European laws, by European business laws, prevent an investor to invest. It's as simple as that. Yeah. But, if, of course, in a court of law, it's a lot more complicated than that. So it's lawyers against lawyers, counselors against counselors. So they cannot prevent us from investing. They can slow us down and under pressure from some clubs, some um, uh, interest groups. Um, and they have very successfully, they have. There's a, there's a reason why we haven't had a midfield in all these years. Um, so, yes, we... You have a good point. We, we, we assume that Nasser, up there now, around a, a round table with those guys, is going to somewhat help the club. You would assume so. You would assume so. Um, but, yeah, I just I look at it and I say it, it, it's just it wasn't worth it for UEFA to continue the way that they're doing it now. 
And I think what's going to end up happening here is that they're going to sort of quietly drop this sort of FFP and redo it in a way where it's a little less sort of stringent and a little less hypocritical. And I think what would work would be something where you're allowed to spend a certain um, where you're allowed to spend a certain amount in investment based off of how much you earn. So, like, this is getting technical, but let's say PSG earned 300 million euros in revenue. If they can spend 10% of their, if they can spend 10% of that from outside, like, from outside investment, that means they get $30 million to inject into the club a year. Is that, like, something like that would at least there's, there's ways. There's, there's ways, ways to make that work. Yeah. They, they gotta find. They gotta find one because everybody's laughing uh, at, at FFP right now. It's a. It's kind of a joke. And what UEFA has done to Paris Saint Germain for the people who follow the club, my God, that's cheap. It's cheap stuff. It's really. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, Mr. Damon, I think we should. Uh, you you you've done it in your own podcast. We've done it in the how do we call this podcast the flagship whatever. So the the big talk and you've done it in in the small talk. Um, Manchester Manchester United is coming up. Uh, you know I follow you on Twitter. I listen to your podcast. You're very confident. I am not at all. Yeah. So we pro- probably and Matt. Um, Who's Wherever he in limbo, is in in limbo in the internet limbo right now. Uh, oh, I think. Ah, oh, he heard. Oh, hello. Is he here? I think I'm. I think I'm back from internet He's limbo. He's here. He's back. Ah, he's here. Yes. Yeah, you can't get rid of me that easily. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I, I mentioned um, your name and and then I pulled you back. Yeah. Yeah. From wherever magic, you were. The magic powers of Delapore worked again. Um, we we co-hosted while you were away. You guys and, are such professionals, I swear. Oh my God, you you have no idea. And um, <laughs> we were talking about Nasser being elected uh, one of the representative of the club, the EC blah blah, the European Club Association. Yeah. Uh, representing so the board. Representing professional clubs at UEFA, which is um, so much paradoxal, considering what happened between UEFA and Paris Saint-Germain, and we felt like UEFA wanted uh, to kill us, and now we... Now we are clubs, but, We are UEFA. Well, so, no, but some clubs were against us, but the same clubs, or some of them... Um, we're behind Nasser to represent them. It's a, it's a, it's a head scratcher. It's really, really a head scratcher. But right. it's probably it's probably good news. And then we were about to start talking about the Manchester United, Paris yeah. Saint Germain. Um, <laughs> I describe Mark as extremely confident. Yes. I, I I say that I'm absolutely not confident, and I think you're standing somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair to say. Yeah, since um, we haven't heard from Matt in a while, let's see, let's let him uh, yeah. let's let him get a couple of words in. 
Okay. Um, well, I'm, yeah, I don't really know what to make of it. To be honest, I don't think Man United are very good. I don't really buy. It. I I know they're better than they were before, but I still don't think they're very good. So uh, the reason I think that is because you only have to look at their back four. Like it's just full of like mediocrity. It's just like a back four of mediocrity. So. OL OL two. Yeah, well, yeah, I suppose so. But we created a lot of chances in the OL game, even though it didn't, um, even though it, you know, didn't go for us in the end. Um, so I think that we will score in this game coming up. So if we're talking about the first leg, I think we'll definitely get an away goal, which will obviously be to our advantage. But whether we can stop them from scoring, I don't know. Um, I think that. We've still got a better team than then all round, even if you take Neymar out. But then I think a lot of it's going to depend on the sort of Verratti situation. I'm very pessimistic about how fit he's going to be. I think he's going to play, but I just think he's going to be playing on one leg, basically, because I think they've probably rushed him back. And I think if that happens, we could be in trouble. Uh, so I think he's such a key player for us and we're so short of bodies in there I mean obviously we've got Paredes now but it's a lot to ask of him after like two weeks with the team to suddenly come in and like you know boss the Champions League match at Old Trafford not because he's not capable of it but just because you know it's a, it's a, it's a whole new situation that he's getting used to so I think if Ferrati's in good shape and he plays well then I think we'll probably win uh, I think that if not I think if we there with a draw we'll be doing well um, and then take it back to the park and hopefully go through but yeah I'm sort of I'm a bit on the fence with it now but um, you know a lot less confident obviously as we've I'm sure we've discussed to death compared to when Mourinho was in charge I did quite enjoy our uh, our Man United fan who came on the uh, the preview podcast describing Mourinho as a massive dickhead I mean that's something a viewpoint I can certainly get behind well he is (laughs) yeah Um, but I think you look at the teams they've played in the league, the only good ones they've played are Spurs, who were without Harry Kane and Son Heung-min as well. And it still needed like a, an amazing performance from De Gea to, uh, for them to get the win. Uh, and the only other good team they've played is Arsenal, who are very flaky anyway. So I would take their, their good form with a pinch of salt. And I think that this is going to be the hardest game they've had since Solskjaer's taken over. And I think... We can definitely win it, but I'm not confident that we will. Well, here's here's my here's my argument for why I'm I'm as confident as I am, and I think part of it is because what Man United have done here is a bit of a magic trick. In that, if you really watch them play in the the actual matches that matter and count, the Tottenham match, the Arsenal match, they're not playing that differently. It's not like they've completely overhauled the identity and the DNA of the team. It's more just that they like playing for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's a good human being. He doesn't yell. He doesn't throw them under the bus. He doesn't bench their best player for weeks on end. Like, Jose Mourinho was draining that club of life every minute he was at it. And to then say, oh... Well, they're better. They're much better than they are because the guy in charge isn't actively sabotaging them. It's not exactly a high bar. So, yeah, it's not a ring endorsement is it of uh, Solskjaer that he's not like sucking the life out of the club, and that's uh, yeah, you know, that's he's he, he's not Jose. He has a he has a tie. He has the sort of romantic tie to the Ferguson days, 
And the fans like him. He's a likable guy. He lets the players pretty much do whatever they want, it looks like. Like, they can do whatever they want on the field. And they look like a team that's playing the best version of what Jose Mourinho would like them to play like. I mean, really, look at the team. They're sitting back for the most part. And then their whole attack is win a ball in midfield. Paul Pogba makes a really good pass to somebody on the wing. And off they go with speed and pace. That's it. It's not different than what it was. So it's not like Tuchel has to go in there and say, oh, you know, we expected this kind of team, but really we're getting this other kind of team. I don't see Manchester United dominating in midfield. I think Pogba's amazing. He's been amazing the last month. But you're playing with Ander Herrera and uh, Nemanja Matic. It's not like their midfield is such a mismatch. It's not like this is... This isn't last year where we're going into the Champions League with, you know, Verratti, Rabio, and Lo Celso against Kroos, Modric, and Casemiro, the best midfield in the world. We're not playing the best midfield in the world. We're playing one really, really, really good midfielder and two guys. So it's not like I think we're just going to get wiped out like we did against Real Madrid in the midfield. It's, I don't see that happening or what happened in, against Bayern a year ago when they played on the road at Bayern. Which means that it's going to come down to counters and who takes their opportunities and who is able to put them in the back of the net. And I actually trust our attacking players more than I trust Man United's attacking players. I mean, you, look, you put these two teams next to each other and you say, okay, Martial's a lesser version of Mbappe. Lukaku is a lesser version of Cavani. Rashford's pretty good, but I think he has that sort of overhyped because he's, you know, he's a little bit, a little overhyped, but he's a good player. I mean, I've seen some, I've seen some excellent takes on the Twitter uh, the last few weeks, basically saying Rashford's better than Mbappe. And oh, yeah. Even even as an England fan, I mean, I really like Marcus Rashford. He's a really good player, but he is he not is, better he. than Mbappe. There is no world where that is true. And like, I saw some Man United fans describing Mbappe as a kick and rush merchant. And it's just like, oh, give me a break, come on. <laughs> but anyway. yeah, but also then take into account who's defending. PSG have the better defensive players, even with their sort of, I think on both sides, neither team has great uh, fullback play. I don't see any great fullbacks on either of these teams. And I don't see their center backs being better than our center backs. Now, my suggestion, if I were to talk to Thomas Tuchel, would be to play a back three so that you get Kimpembe and Kerr wider so that they can handle the they can handle the counters better rather than playing in a back two where you're stretching your fullbacks and then your your two center backs have to spread out wide and you leave a lot of space. If they don't commit penalties, which is a big if, if they don't commit penalties, if they don't give away goals, I can't see Manchester United getting more than two or three over the entire two legs. And then it's up to PSG to score. And I know I'm going on for a bit, but if they can figure out how to get two goals a game without Neymar, which is doable, 
get four goals in total, hold United to two. That It should be pretty straightforward is what I'm saying. Now, I'm going to turn it over to Guillaume here, who's going to kind of give the counterpoint. <laughs> but I, I just feel like they're a better team. They should win. And if they don't, it's going to be for the reasons that we kind of know what those reasons would be. But you can't just sort of anticipate those things happening, if that makes sense. So I don't – I'm playing the game in my head. I have for a few days. I'm not sure how we're going to score. I'm not sure how we're going to score. First of all, I don't know. I agree with you. I'd be. I'd feel better with a, a back three to match uh, Manchester's front three. Um, on all the, for, ex- for example, at Arsenal, the second goal, which was, I think, a Lingard goal, yeah. the Arsenal's uh, fullbacks are cut out of position. No duh. Who's your who's Arsenal coach again? Oh yeah, and um, uh, suddenly there's like three Manchester United forwards against two the, against Arsenal central defense, and there's Pogba right behind them. That's a goal. We don't want that. They are extremely extremely efficient in counter attack. Yeah. So three three in the back. Oh, okay, so uh, three four three. Uh, if, yeah, three, you, five, three, five, two. No, I, I think so, it's a it's a three four three because if you then you're asking Di Maria to play more midfieldish, and I I think that I would I would have Di Maria be a little bit further up, and I'd have Cavani and Mbappe switching spots. So, so I would Al- say it's a three four three. Alves Bernat. Um, uh, in, on the right and the left of the midfield with, with Paredes and Verity in the center? Yeah, I don't think... And then Care, that way you have Care backing up, uh, Care's mm. backing up Alves, and yeah. Kimpembe's backing up Bernat. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I buy that. I, I, I think it'd be... Uh, I'm sorry, Matt, I'm, I'm almost done. Um, I, I think it'd be, at this point, a bigger risk not to play Paredes, than to play Paradise. Who do you play? He's a, little, he's a little short physically, of course. He had a eight weeks break. But he's a specialist of the freaking position. He played over 150 games as a Sentinel. He knows the job. He knows he, lo- he loves dropping between the, the, the two central defenders um, and, and, and dictate the, 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 the tempo. He fits right in. So I think he'd be okay. He's never played uh, a game that level, sure. But if he's well protected um, with, with you know, three central defenders behind him, Paredes Verati in the heart of the midfield is probably a good idea. And Verati may not be able to last um, 90 minutes, yeah. but he could probably do 60. Oh, and that's the so, yeah. And Guillaume, that's the not to interrupt, but that's the key here. The key isn't always. It, sometimes the key isn't the first 11. This game is going to be. I would assume tight going into that final 30 it's minutes. Gonna be, it's it's going to be tight. It's, it's who. Be a tight it's game. what you can do next in that 30 minutes where you've go, you have your starting 11, but now who comes into this game? Like that's the critical thing. If you if you don't think that either Paredes or Verratti can play the whole game, who comes in for them, and how well, do you configure that? 
We have uh, Draxler, we have Meunier, we have Diaby, we have Choupo, uh, and Soki is probably going to be on the bench too. Um, these are not amazing options, but they are they are bench options. It, it's you know this is what we have right now. Um, so do we have Draxler? So no, we don't because uh, if we play in three four three, the three up front are Di Maria. Oh no, no, we do have Draxler. Uh, uh, yeah. Mbappé on the right, Cavani in the center, Di Maria on the left. We do have Draxler on the bench. That's not too bad. Yeah. Still, still, I think the, the team is balanced somewhat. Our wings in that configuration are still weak. Yeah. But um, if, if Kimpembe is up to his normal level and, and care, they dropped a bit, I think, recently. Um, they, 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 they know how to or to protect the wings, or to help protect the, the wings yeah, very and, efficiently. And Matt. And, Alves, yeah. Alves and, and, and Juan. Um, Bernat. Bernat. Yeah, but Matt, here's here's my, I just thought of this. Here's my here's my question. Does that, do you then, if you're going to play a back three and play both Paredes and Verratti, you could play a 3-5-2, but you'd have to bring Marquinhos in as your midfield. Yeah. If you're playing a 3-4-3, do you play Marquinhos over any of the three center backs that we've talked about? Kerr, uh, Silva, or um, Kerr, Silva, or Kimpembe? It's a really interesting question. I think that I'd be tempted. I was just thinking about that while you guys were talking. And I think I'd be tempted to play Kerr right back and um, put Marquinhos into the back three. Thinking back to how well it worked in the Liverpool game with uh, Marquinhos as a sort of sweeper dropping into the back three and then stepping up into midfield when we had the ball. And I think, obviously, it's not exactly the same game because Liverpool are a different team, blah, blah, blah. But I think I would be happy with that. And I just don't like Danny Alves very much. So I'd just get him out of the team wherever possible, to be honest. Uh, I've got a question for you guys, actually, which is that, um, obviously, you've just sort of mentioned the um, sort of bench options. Uh, Obviously, Adrian Rabiot is in the Champions League squad. I think that Tuchel would probably quite like to use him. Do you think there's any way back for him? Do you think, would you have him in the squad for these matches? Or do you think that one's, you know, done and dusted and he's uh, off somewhere else, given that we've seen today that potentially Barcelona have uh, sort of pulled out of a, a move that they were they were planning for him? What a shot. It's for the quotas. You need uh, X amount of players from your home academy, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never, it's never going to be displayed. Um, I mean, 99% uh, not happening. The <laughs> one thing I know about Nasser, he's got a grudge. He's, um, you know, in south of France, the, the Basques and the Corsicans, when you do something wrong to them, it takes them a few generations to forgive you. Yeah. The Arabs, the Arabs, it's a couple of millennium. So in a thousand years, I think Rabiot will be uh, probably allowed to show up at Candeloge again. Yes. But no, Nasser, Nasser said no, that's not happening. So I think the reason why is a, a technicality with the UEFA quota on your paper. You need that amount of players from your academy, uh, some French players, blah, blah, blah. And uh, hell, um, uh, what is his name? Uh, Lass is on, on that form too. Yeah. Tiara is. Remember so, him? 
Yeah, oh, yeah. It took me a couple of seconds to uh, to remember his name. Yes. <laughs> oh well, what a, what a signing he was. Um, <laughs> but you no, know I what? Work out. You know what? With and I, I will qualify this a little bit because Nasser did recently lose his mother, and Adjun Rabio has recently had um, deaths in his family, and I'm not, you know, sometimes. Stuff like that can change perspective True. a little bit, and yeah, it would be it, it could. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying there's a chance that maybe those two get in a room together, they have a long discussion, you know, they cry a little bit, and then you come out with and they come out with a new four year contract. These it's things a are story, Mark. These are things that may happen. They could happen in, in this yeah, universe but... or the next. But I mean, it happens. He makes me want to cry on quite a regular basis. So uh, it, yeah. Um, have so, you have you heard though that um, the rumors are that Barcelona are no longer interested yes, by is, Rabiot? <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, that's what we were saying. Like he, 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 sometimes, oh, sometimes God. this stuff just writes itself. It really does. There's no, there's come, no. Come as a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or you can put it like that. But I, I, honestly, I, just to answer the question, no, it, it just—it's not going to happen unless, no. unless again, there's a come to, a come to, for lack of a better term, a come to Jesus meeting or a come to Allah meeting or a come to whatever meeting, and they hug it out. I don't see it happening. And I think right now they have enough where they can get away with it. Like, if they had not gotten Paredes, then you might, like, have this conversation, like, more seriously than we're having it. But because they got Paredes, and Paredes can do really good things, and he's going to be in your starting lineup for the next, hopefully, four, five, six years, it's time to sort of turn the page on Adrian Rabio. So, yeah, no. So, um, Matt, um this uh, this podcast is all dismantled now. We forgot who's the host, who's the you know. Yeah. This is going to be a um, real bitch to um, edit. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you you can send it to me. I'd be happy to. I'm sending uh, it to somebody because I'm not editing it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'll, I do I do the edit, but um, we should talk uh, briefly because we we're running out of time about the transfer window, um, which was. Uh, Oh, it was some drama again. Uh, a lot of uh, rumors, and uh, but a, a, a lot to talk about. In let's make it five minutes. Uh, the young was supposed to join, and then Barcelona made up an absolutely ridiculous offer. Uh, I think it was a total of eighty-seven million euros and a ten million euro salary after tax. <laughs> As Paris offered 75 million euros and 7 million salary. And that was the last uh, offer by Paris Saint-Germain. So Barcelona smashed that and changed his mind and joined. Um, personally, I didn't care much. It was uh, fun to, to watch. I mean, the young's great, but he's not the type of player we were looking for. Um, it would have been great, though. Sure, sure. Um, and then, then there was the Sentinel and the, the defensive midfielder 
uh, rumors. And very rapidly, Paradise uh, names started to be mentioned in a lot of reports. And oh my God, that was that was amazing. And we, we pulled it off for an okay price, I think. Yeah. But but we didn't get the you know the workhorse um, that we probably need to. So your your thought on, on that? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm hosting right now for the last five minutes, is that if, if it's okay with you guys. We, we've all what? traded hosting duty, so I think yeah, it's have, okay if you take it for a little bit. Yeah, it's a shared, uh, shared responsibility. Yes. I mean, I think the there's been a lot of – so I've read a lot of stuff and listened to quite a few podcasts over here in England, and I think the general perception is that PSG failed in the window a bit because uh, we didn't get De Jong and we were linked with a load of other guys uh, for midfield, uh, which we didn't get, and Tuchel obviously quite publicly said he wanted two players in. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that we failed. I don't think that's a – I would say we had a satisfactory transfer window. I think that we addressed the biggest need, like you say, you yeah. know, in terms of getting Paredes in, I think that's that was the one thing we needed to do, and we did it. So I think that we sort of met the minimum expectation. And I'm not too fussed about De Jong. Uh, it would have been a nice to have, but like you say, not a not a key player for us. And also, uh, I don't want to be disparaging of the uh, the Dutch league, but he hasn't done it against uh, you know at any other level. Basically, he hasn't played in the Champions League. He's done well in the Europa League, but. Um, he hasn't been to the latter stages of the Champions League anyway, so I think there's a certain element of risk attached to that, particularly yeah. the price which Barcelona ended up paying that I wouldn't have been that comfortable with us doing. So Huge risk, it, huge risk. Yeah, so I think it would have been nice to get another midfielder in, ideally, because we're still yeah. sort of like one injury away from, yeah. you know, to, to be clear with De Jong, we wouldn't have been able to get him until July anyway. No, so. no obviously. I'm yeah. And you're talking yeah. about Guillet, who may or may not I'm still be in Paris. Yeah, Idris Agay and, or, you know, Thiago, um, Thiago Mendes, wasn't it, from, yes. uh, from Lille, yeah, who we sort of nearly got done as well. Um, so I think, like, I personally, I'm happy with how the squad looks. I think we've got enough. Uh, but I wonder if the transfer window will have some kind of, uh, you know, ramifications for uh, for our old friend uh, uh, Enrique, who uh, obviously hasn't done what Tuchel wanted him to do. And it'll be interesting to see sort of where the where the power lies in that relationship. Whether he's, this, he's out. He's out. Yeah. So. He, well, it seems like, and it's strange because I think you have to, and I've been trying to say this for a while. You have to separate the two things here. PSG had a satisfactory transfer window, but also Antero Enrique embarrassed himself. Those two things can both be true yeah. at the same time. Yeah, this is a guy that flew two people to Paris and didn't sign either of them. He flew uh, Luciano Acosta from uh, all the way from Washington, D.C. Yeah. to Paris. He even, he even had a medical. He even had a medical. Didn't sign him. They, Idrissa Guillet and his entourage flew to Paris. They didn't sign him either. And then they were supposed to sign a left back from Ajax, but wouldn't you know who won the pony? They couldn't get the paperwork in in time. So this is all very amateur hour stuff. And Mark, I think it's Mark, good. You, you forgot he also sold Yassine Adli, who was one of the most promising uh, midfielders in yes. our youth academy. A classy guy, bad attitude apparently, but huge potential. And he sold him... 
uh, in the last uh, minutes of the the window, apparently to get enough cash, like to yes. up his offer for for Gaye, and he didn't get Gaye. Yes. Yeah. My God, my God. That's yes. Really, that was really. That was a really funny one. I just don't really understand. <laughs> Obviously, that that doesn't really seem like a good reason for anyone with a brain, really, to sort of just get a bit of money to buy like some sort of, you know, average central midfielder. You sell one of your yeah. best uh, youth players. Because Antero was not thinking rationally. He was, and in, in this is pretty clear at this point, the guy doesn't work well under pressure or when his plan A doesn't work. And I'm taking that from some other people I've had conversations with, and I've tried to give the guy a benefit of the doubt, because being the sporting director at Paris Saint-Germain is not exactly this easy sort of job where you get to kind of do what you want and you don't really have any pressure on you. It's not Porto. Like, and I was trying to see if he would really adjust well, and it's just, we're at a point now where you can't, you can't do the, it, it can't be the Keystone Cops out there, or, you know, or or Mickey Mouse Hour, where we're just, you know, we're making these, we're, we're flying people in for nothing. Like, you can't do that. Like, professional sports organizations don't do that stuff. And he he has to go because of it, because it's just not professional. And, it's, and it makes people who want to deal with PSG a little wary about it. Even the whole, let's argue for three days over uh, agent commissions thing, that was even a bit silly. Like... Are we really going to have an argument over agent commissions or, you know, league appearance fees? Like, you could just imagine the dude just, like, sitting there arguing with these people over the most minute stuff. I mean, we can we can imagine what we want, but, um, I, I, yeah, but it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't look... It's not a... It doesn't look like the, the relationship with Suhail is a, is a positive one. And that's the key. That's the whole key. And, and it is it's creating some conflicts within the club, and then we really don't need that. Uh, it's, got, it's done. It's gone at the end of the season, there's yeah. no doubt. And I think there's a perfect replacement for him. And no, it's not freaking Arsene Wenger. <laughs> I was going to get uh, to that. No, 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 no. No. Um, he's a guy who's been at the club for a long time. We adore him. He used to be a player, a classy player. He's seen a couple of director of footballs at Paris Saint-Germain. He's learned the trade, and he's going to be great, and it's Maxwell. Maxwell will be a fantastic director of football. The players love him. The fans love him. The, the, he's, a, he's a smart guy, and he's learned the job. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't need to go get uh, Arsene Wenger. If Wenger is... is um, Oh, man, I said, let's let's keep it short for five minutes. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a complicated story. There's um, a rumor that's been around and doesn't go away that Jean-Claude Blanc, who is the current general manager of Paris Saint-Germain, may leave the club to head the Paris 2024 Olympics committee. He's done that already in the past. Uh, he's done the Albertville Olympics, I think. I forgot. No, no, that was... Or something else. He's done Roland Garros. He's done big um, sports events in, in France. That's his specialty. Yeah. He's a very, very uh, top professional in sports business. If he does live, then sure, Wenger. Um, people forget that Arsene Wenger at Arsenal was a lot more than just a coach. Um, Wenger redesigned the club, changed its business model. Uh, the, the only 
big club, semi-big club. Arsenal is not a really big club, but it's not a small club. Um, they make a lot of money. They are the only um, club that is profitable on year after year after year after year and self-sufficient. Arsenal didn't get a single cash injection this past six to seven years. That's Arsene Wenger, his alzation. You know, they, they, there's no stupid spending with Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger is, um, was micromanaging everything at Arsenal. That makes him a very, very potent uh, general manager. And if Jean-Claude Blanc leaves, then he'd be a fantastic replacement. But um, to get him as a co-general manager with Blanc, if Blanc doesn't leave, uh, to replace also the sport side of the business, so to replace Enrique, mm, yeah. I think I think uh, Maxwell would be a much better candidate. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I. I'm also not. I'm not even sure that he'd be a good general manager at this point. To be honest, I take what all that you say, and I'm a big fan of what Wenger did at Arsenal. It was a really, you know, amazing project and very much ahead of its time for a lot of it. But the last few years, I think he really took his eye off the ball. And I think you saw after David Dean left, who was the chairman and was also very instrumental in all the changes and the move to the stadium and blah, blah, that they really sort of suffered a lot. And I don't know that I'd be happy leaving Wenger sort of as the senior guy, like in charge of sort of running the club as it yeah. were. I think it's, I think he is, he's a great man and I have a lot of respect for him, but I think his days happened and uh, I'm not keen for him to get involved in PSG yeah, at this and, point. I don't think. Yeah. And sporting director is a really sort of specific um, minutia job. Like you have to do a lot of small things and it's not a, it's not a position where you can sort of moonlight and like, okay, I can kind of step in and step out. Like you have to be in that club 365 days a year. You have to be scouting. You have to build scouting networks. You have to build relationships with agents. You have to be, it's a hard job job. and to give it to a guy who's, not to be ageist or anything, but he's 69 years old. Like, mm-hmm. does he want to do that at this point in his life? Now, he's been an energetic guy for a while. I mean, just because... He's very you know, smart. Just because he smart. didn't, you know, just because Arsenal, the run with Arsenal didn't end really that well, doesn't mean he can't do a job at PSG. But to do the to do the small things that you need to do at that general manager job, it's just, I don't, I don't see it. And it's not like he's been picking the best players the last five years either. So, like, you know, he's 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 limited in terms of budget, too. I mean, he was. Yeah. Guys, we got to we got to end this podcast. Yes. Somebody has to end this podcast. So, yeah. Who's the host? Oh, I totally have no idea at this point. What is a host? Does a podcast even need a host? No, we don't need a host. We just all talk over each other for six for eighty yeah. minutes. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. All right, Matt. Hey, hey, get get your job back and 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 close this. Yes. yes. Anyway, yes, we've had a lovely time. We've all talked a lot, uh, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it. And we will see you back after the Man United game. Uh, I'm sure Mark will be busy with his uh, with his uh, relentless PSG small talk schedule and we'll hopefully have a full show for you guys after the, the Champions League game so we can pick the bones out of that. But for now, uh, thanks very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.